Okay. Hello, hello, everyone. We're hey, back live once again. Uh, let me just check something here. But yeah, should be everything is fine. Yeah, sure. So, hi, welcome back to the Security Black Podcast. Um, uh, I, I, you know, if this is the first time you're watching this, this is just a little project of mine where I invite cool people from the security uh, industry, like uh, just today, uh, just to have a chat on the uh, latest, um, you know, news from uh, from the uh, from the field and have a chat about it and see what we can all learn from it or just, you know, some random thoughts that can always help with the, uh, you know, reasoning and learning process, which I always, uh, you know, look forward to. Today, as I said, you know, there's Josh with me. Hi, Josh. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks. Yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I always do this, but I'm, <laughs> I like to, to say that when we start the, the live stream, we have to pretend we didn't meet before and uh, <laughs> we don't know how, how each other feel, right? <laughs> but that, that's okay. It's part of the, uh, the show. And um, I see some people uh, already joined us. Hi, everyone. Drop a message uh, in the chat if you're there and watching. Um, and, uh, you know, just a little reminder, uh, this is uh, live on YouTube right now. Uh, the video will be uh, recorded and will be available in the YouTube channel uh, afterwards. Uh, so you feel free to, to go back and uh, watch on that. And also, um, you know, the audio will be uploaded on the most, you know, uh, common podcast platforms like, uh, you know, Spotify or Apple Podcast or whatever. So if you prefer audio only, maybe, you know, just uh, go check out on, on those platforms as well. Uh, and of course, if you if you are going to enjoy the episode, uh, consider you know subscribing, uh, make, hitting the like button. Maybe uh, you know most importantly, uh, leave us a comment so we can all have a conversation all together, and we can also learn from you that are uh, watching us. Um, so before we uh, go into the uh, format. I just have some announcement to say. Uh, if you watched the previous uh, episode, and if you didn't, you know you can always go back and uh, uh, have a look at those. Uh, we we run um, um, <clears throat> uh, we run a giveaway. Uh, we're giving away uh, three copies of the um, the Art of Deception book from Kevin Mythic. Uh, that's a that's a cool one, uh, at least for me. And, uh, you know, some people actually um, participated and uh, I'm going to drop in the chat the names of the uh, three lucky winners. And I'm going to ask you uh, if you're watching or if you're going to watch this to just, you know, send an email uh, to the email address you can find in the video description uh, with uh, your address so I can send you the, the book and, you know, just a proof that you are actually, uh, you know, you uh, and uh, you know that uh, you are the one that sent the uh, the message in the description. So I'm gonna post the uh, three names in the uh, in the live chat, but I'm also gonna uh, post those uh, in the video description uh, afterwards. So those names are uh, Cyber Demo, uh, Goldkind Marion, and Mr. Professor KP7DP. And I hate you all for using such complicated uh, nicknames, by the way. <laughs> okay. uh, just give me a second so I can uh, write those usernames down. 
and I'll be there. Anyway, uh, once again, I'm gonna write those in the description of the video so we are all sure about uh, who I'm talking about. So, you know, congratulations to all of the people that uh, won the giveaway. We're gonna do more uh, in the future. So just, you know, uh, keep in touch so uh, you can participate to the next ones. Now, let's go to this, um, uh, this evening episode, the list for us uh, in uh, this part of the ocean. Um, so, Josh, do you want to briefly introduce yourself to the people that don't know you yet? Great, yeah, yeah. Uh, firstly, congratulations to everyone on winning, and thank you for having me on today's episode. Um, so my name is Josh. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as Joshua David. Um, so I grew up in Australia and uh, graduated from uni with a degree in uh, security and intelligence. Um, from that, I worked for the police for several years in an intelligence role uh, before moving to England, um, where I now work in threat intelligence, uh, focused on cyber threat intelligence. And since finishing uni, I've kind of tailored uh, my work towards uh, cyber threat intelligence and, and started to narrow it down to that niche. Uh, I say it's a niche, it's, it's growing quite big now uh, with what's going on in the world. So. Yeah, it's an interesting field to be in. Yeah, definitely, definitely interesting one. I mean, it's uh, it's not my own uh, field, but I'm always looking forward to you know exchange some uh, uh, some some information uh, with people that are not working my my same field, right? Because that's where I'm gonna uh, learn the most, I think. Uh, because of course you have a different background. You are doing on a daily basis different activities than what I'm doing. That you know. I work in detection and response, by the way. Um, so I'm definitely gonna complement my own knowledge with yours during a conversation like this. And this is, I always say this, but this is basically the the, uh, the main goal and objective of this project. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry for you watching this, but this is first of all for me, uh, for myself to learn, to learn a little more and just to force myself to go reading those news, by the way, because uh, it's something that I know I should do, uh, pretty much every week, but it's kind of hard when you have, you know, to work, you have a social life and everything else. So um, yeah, this is just a nice way to, to, to force myself. By the way. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's the best thing with cyber security as well, is that there's so many different fields you can go into. Um, right? And you can, especially with platforms like LinkedIn now, Twitter, we can connect with each other see what the other person is doing. If we like that, we can try and go down that path or we can learn from each other in different ways. So they definitely all complement each other, uh, but there's definitely a lot to learn in, across the different areas as well. So yeah, it's, it's great to catch up like this. Absolutely, completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, our own conversation will be definitely, uh, you know, hitting that, that point in there. So. So this is the idea. I'm gonna share my screen in a second and I'm going to introduce the first news of today. Um, after that, uh, we're gonna say, you know, what uh, me, uh, Josh, and hopefully someone from the, um, from the people in the chat, what we think about it. So um, the first one, someone can, can probably object it's really a security news, but I have some interesting, you know, uh, thoughts about it and why it's, uh, let's say, security related. Uh, so, uh, of course, you know, this is going to be pretty well known for 
the US people uh, watching this. Uh, basically, uh, the last week, AT&T, which is uh, one of the biggest, I will say, uh, probably uh, uh, for network providers, um, basically had a big, very big outage of uh, you know um, multiple hours, where uh, across all the country, uh, you know the the the, the um, telephone connection was not blocked, uh, not not working at all. Right. Uh, that means that people could not um, use their phones to to call or uh, to actually connect to the Internet and use uh, whatever services uh, and basically interact with other people, um, uh, you know, uh, around the world, but also not using any services at all. If you think about it, uh, nowadays we are all using our phone to to do anything. You know, you use it, you know, you use Google Maps or, you know, whatever other applications you have. Uh, to, uh, you know, while you're driving, maybe you want to order some food and you need, uh, uh, or you just use usually an application, or maybe you need some uh, emergency services. You want to call, uh, you know, the police or whatever, and you still need, uh, you know, your phone to call them. And most of the time you don't have any any alternative. Uh, so I think the point here is that uh, is, um, uh, you know, uh, as humans, we are basically um, uh, addicted, uh, but I, I will say in a good way, but we are basically uh, addicted to uh, a phone, the network, and everything that uh, comes from it. And there are so many, you know, services, very basic services that are just based on the uh, on the internet and the, on our phones nowadays. And without it, uh, we, we, we do have pretty pretty big problems right that's what happened in the us since uh, at&t is one of the biggest providers out there and um, i think the first interesting thing for me was that you know even in the article you can see here they tried to track uh, the the outage itself uh, through downdetector.com if you don't know it's just a platform where you can go and say oh you know this service right now is not responding is not functioning very well and uh, you know there were more than 70,000 reports uh, in few hours about you know the AT&T uh, network which is pretty big uh, if you uh, if you consider that of course not everyone is going to that specific site to report it that's just the people that you know uh, use the internet some with the, some uh, you know alternative uh, tool or network and then went to downdetector.com to report it so, and um, the other thing that I think it's written somewhere there in the in the in the uh, in the article is that also a lot of other providers uh, were reported to be uh, unavailable uh, during the same day, which is not technically true. But the thing is that if you try to call someone that was using AT and T, so they they were not available, you started to think, oh, my phone is not working, while you know. Actually, it was the other side that was not working. And then you suddenly, um, you know, extend the problem where the problem is not really there, or at least not the technical problem, right? So um, I I'm starting to think all of the consequences of just one single provider going down for a few hours. Like how many of those things uh, are going to, um, uh, you know, cause other problems, you know, with, maybe with also third-party services. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick there for a second and see if you, Josh, have uh, any thoughts about it. Any, you know, did you did you ever uh, faced 
anything like this? Or did you ever think what, what you're going to do if anything like this could happen? Yeah, yeah, we've definitely had outages uh, in England before. Uh, but yeah, I think going from your first point that you mentioned where we're addicted to our phones, we're also just so dependent on them as well. Um, with people, since COVID, people working from home um, are a lot more dependent on, on the internet connection, the phone, and the technology. So it is a lot more today than what it used to be, I believe. Um, I had it before where I was working in the office and if my phone was down, my phone was down, I was fine. Whereas now if I'm at home, it's it can mean you're out of work for the day, which can have a knock-on effect. So we are definitely more dependent. Um, I won't go too far because I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to cover some more stuff. But in terms of it being a, a technical error due to, a, I think they put it down to a software upgrade or a software change. Uh, not to say that that's not the case, but it's, yeah, even that can show how much um, damage can be caused from, from that alone. Um, I know it was affected so many customers in America. Um, I read reports that it uh, extended to Canada as well. Um, so yeah, it just shows what impact this can have. And like you said, it's not only just the AT&T customers, but it's who they're connecting with as well. So you can just multiply that and, and the effect that that can have. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, you mainly think about two two different things, at least. Uh, first of all, um, and that's also in the article somewhere. Uh, you know, there's there's an there was another consequence. Uh, the fact that, um, of course, multiple people were um, uh, let's say concerned that they they could maybe not even call the the authorities, right, or the police, or uh, or you know an ambulance or something. So in some of the uh, states and cities, they started calling the you know the 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 nine one one in their case yeah. uh, just to check whether you know is it still working? Can I actually call you yeah. if there's any problem? But you know the thing yeah. was that too many people were doing that, and uh, you know even if the number was actually working, too many calls were just yeah. you know. Uh, you know, it's basically a denial of service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone's going to be in panic mode, I guess. So everyone's going to be making that same call to try and confirm. And then it's just going to have a, yeah, a, a counter effect on the service. Like you said, it's just a yeah, denial of service. Um, but yeah, it, it shows you, I read as well, yeah, that the, the 911 service was down, uh, which obviously is, that's the, yeah, the, the biggest problem in that case. That's the worst case scenario um, for some people. So, yeah, I wouldn't like to know what, what kind of effects that had on, on people. Um, I know in the past, similar companies have done like a compensation claim for customers based on outages. Um, but again, that's quite minimal in, in comparison to what effect it can have. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, um, it really makes me think uh, how addicted we are if we really go panicking when something like this happens you know this is really a psychological thing i mean if you if it causes you panic it means that you are really really you know dependent on it yeah uh, okay. but of course you know i'm not i'm not expert but that's definitely something that makes me think um and the other thing and actually the reason why i decided to take this uh, as one of the article is that 
you know, especially, you know, just reading on social media uh, and all the reports and all of the complaints of the, uh, you know, customers of AT&T. Yeah. The thing is, was that so many people started to think, oh, uh, someone is attacking the AT&T network and that's the reason why it's down. I think there is this um, uh, general um, association that everyone nowadays is doing when, you know, service is down. It means that, you know, the hackers or, you know, anyone is uh, uh, attacking the company and uh, and then it's uh, even they make it bigger and worse than maybe yeah. it actually is right uh, and I think this is um, both the case inside our industry right right and outside as well maybe for different reasons uh, but I think it happens a lot maybe be, you know us uh, first of all because we are always you know uh, looking for the next big breach and all of the experts <laughs> maybe in the social yeah. media want to uh, say their, their words about it uh, or just to sell their services to the to the company that is affected as well which is uh, which is one of the the cases and on the other end I think the people outside the industry are so dependent on the on the news that they read right and when you don't know know really how IT works in general, you know, how information technology systems work and the fact that they can have problems outside a cyber attack. Uh, You just do the association, okay, uh, if my phone is not working, then it's been the hackers for some reasons, whatever the hackers are. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and I made that mistake earlier on, actually, when we were discussing it. Uh, saying that you know it, it was down to a technical issue and what if it wasn't but it, it can so easily spread as soon as that bit of misinformation goes out about what's actually happened with the platforms we've got it can just spread and, and you're exactly right everyone kind of assumes that it's a cyber attack straight away just because it's it's becoming so common now um, that people just default to the worst case scenario which again it's yeah the news, the media, we, we, we all follow it. We all, even if you don't follow it, it, it finds its way in front of you. So, um, yeah, there, there definitely can be technical. Uh, so we've got a comment in there as well. Uh, there definitely can be um, technical problems, especially with companies this size as well. Um, people think that, oh, because they're the biggest company that they're going to have the best services and no problems but they're also handling the most calls the most uh, information the most customers the most staff so the bigger also comes with problems as well so yeah that's so true and actually i think it's uh you know fits very well uh a question that we have uh, from the uh from the chat uh this is from andy hi andy and thank you for your question um you know they are asking what would you comment to the yeah, they, they are talking about the US specifically, but I think it's something that can rather affect any 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 country. Um, uh, they say you know allowing AT and T to operate at such a huge market share when considered the essential services they provide and lack of contingency. Uh, I mean, this is I think this is a very very big topic. I'm gonna remove the comment just because it's so big in the screen. Um, but thank you, Andy, for that. I mean, um, 
I'm not sure if this is something that uh, can really be regulated because no matter how big the provider is, uh, you know, even if you have, I don't know, four or five big providers that share the entire market, if just one of those five is going to be, uh, you know, uh, down for six, eight or 12 hours, anyway, the entire nation is going to, you know, face the consequences because it's not the fact that they have, I don't know, the monopoly of the market. It's the fact that, you know, if you have multiple providers to talk to each other, you know, just me to call you on your phone and we are using two different providers. If your provider is not working, I am also affected by the outage, even, even though I'm not a customer of that provider itself. I don't know if that makes sense, but the point is that, you know, for the nature of the technology in this specific case, you know, of networks that are connected to each other. If just one of the network, no matter how big, no matter how large is the, their market share, I think personally, right, of course, this is a personal opinion, but that is going to affect uh, a multitude of people anyway. I mean, we could probably complain um, that they really took a, a long time to, to fix the, the problem. It was a very big problem, right? Something that's you know, last one hour, it's kind of okay, but, uh, you know, half a day or, or a, an entire day, it's pretty, it's pretty big, but I don't think it's related to how large is their, their market share. What, what do you think, Josh? Do, do you, do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, I think my take from Andy's question was in terms of the monopoly, like you said, uh, how can we comment on, you know, these large companies operating such a, a mass market, uh, I'm not too sure how you prevent that. Um, I know some tech companies have faced it before and, and you know, they've had legal proceedings and to, to stop that kind of monopoly and, and to let the smaller businesses grow. But people are always going to go for the the cheaper, more well-known product. Um, do things like this damage the reputation of those big companies? I'm, I'm not too sure, being how big, how big they are. I think they do probably in the short term, but... Um, you know, being so big, they can bounce back with better products, better offers. Uh, how do you stop that monopoly? I'm not too sure. Um, I know America's got all, you know, all the different states and maybe it can be, yeah, shared across the states. But uh, yeah, um, that one, I'm, I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm a bit stuck on that one, Andy. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a difficult topic and uh, I don't think we're going to uh, find the answer uh, tonight, but um, I mean, I think it's it's definitely an interesting question. It's definitely an interesting topic, and uh, but still, I'm not sure that even even if we can find, let's say, uh, a solution to 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 uh, to limit, you know, the market share of a company, I don't think, and that's once again uh, my personal opinion that that's gonna fix the the kind of consequences of a problem like this. Of course, there are other, you know, problems uh, related to uh, a monopoly of the of the market. But you know, I don't think this is just the uh, the context where we are focused on today. Um, so I, I I think I just have a, a a last little thing before we jump to the next news, which is, do you think um, the people outside the industry, so not you know people in IT or people in you know in security is is actually starting to have uh, some sort of uh, mm, 
uh, how can I, how can I uh, call this, like a fear of a national state attack or something. Uh, and I'm asking this because um, I, I started to see like multiple uh, movies or TV series where they take this kind of, uh, you know, context where, you know, you're just a, a guy walking in the streets and suddenly uh, and a different country attacks yours and, you know, there's the, the apocalypse or something, right? Um, and I started to think that maybe, you know, this is somewhat associated, right? The fact that, you know, the first problem, you think that someone, you know, maybe the terrorists or whatever are attacking you and it could be bigger than, than, than it actually is. I, I think that could be a problem by itself, right? If, if, it's, if it's something, right? Maybe, maybe it's, just, it's just me, but let me know what you think. Yeah, no, no definitely. I think I touched on that earlier, uh, especially with all the conflict we've got going on at the minute uh, with Russia, Ukraine, and the, the uh, threat actors coming from those. Um, which we'll probably touch in in the next article, but there's definitely a lot going on. So there's that perception there that it does fall back to to a cyber attack or a, a bigger nation state attack. Um, when I was reading this, it took me back to um, the cyber attack in Australia, the Optus provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at that uh, earlier today as well, um, where they yeah they had a, their services with Bell. Um, turned out to be a cyber attack and in an effort to save their reputation they actually filed um, court proceedings to have the the investigation part of the investigation kept secret so uh, it wasn't all fully disclosed which was overruled uh, but yeah it just shows you that it, it can that's that's an example of where it is a cyber attack and, and the effects it can have um you know the hundreds of thousands of customers that were affected um but yeah this i think it's for myself it's probably knowing about those earlier incidents and those different examples so that when i see something like this i kind of relate it straight to those uh so yeah again i'm not sure if that's because the industry we're working in and that's the stuff we follow but uh, i think it is becoming a lot more in your face and, and a lot more common yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I think uh, it's like that. So I think, uh, you know, this was pretty interesting, but we better jump to the next one because we have uh, a list of different uh, topics to, to discuss about today. So let's see what do we have next. Okay, actually, this was a, a pretty uh, busy week, I will say, because uh, I really didn't struggle at all to find, uh, you know, big news to talk about. It was everything there. We had like uh, one big thing per, per day or something. Uh, so this was uh, another one of those. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, if you are in the industry, probably you heard about it, um, uh, you know, already. Uh, if you didn't, well, we are here exactly for that purpose. Um, so you can learn something that happened uh, recently and we can have a chat about it. Uh, I'm this time talking about the um, recent uh, screen connect vulnerability uh, that was, um, uh, uh, you know, published, that was declared uh, by the the vendor itself that is ConnectWise. And, uh, you know, um, I think at least one security provider that 
uh, you know, um, um, generated uh, some some reports about the vulnerability itself. So uh, first of all, what is um, uh, Screen Connect? What is ConnectWise? Screen Connect is um, I don't know. I call them remote access tools, but I, I'm I'm actually not sure if that's uh, that's a term that everyone uses. It's basically you know a software, let's say a legitimate software that the company is selling to uh, to businesses in order to <clears throat> Um, make the, the company able to remotely connect to a host, you know, to a computer, to a server or something, uh, basically to uh, administer them, right? So for IT admins to remotely access uh, their own infrastructure, their own network, and, uh, you know, um, apply fixes, you know, configuring stuff, and so on and so forth. Uh, this is not the only one. We definitely have a lot of them in the, uh, in the market. Um, and uh, I think this is, of course, this is, uh, let's say, a uh, um, you know, very big and problematic vulnerability, but this is not generally something new. Uh, you know, uh, we definitely have seen attackers exploiting these legitimate tools uh, for, uh, for malicious purposes, right? And it's so convenient for them because if you can access this kind of technology, as a consequence, you directly have access to a lot of, uh, if not all of the hosts in the network of the of their target, right? Just because it's it's already there, uh, it's meant to be there and to have access to all of the hosts and to, you know, give you all of the possible uh, power on their uh, on their hosts, right? So the thing is that you know that technology. Um, uh, you know, uh, nowadays as uh, a couple of different vulnerabilities, one of which give you the, the possibility to create an admin user, right? So basically a set of privileges that give you uh, the highest, um, uh, you know, uh, permissions in order to uh, remotely access the, uh, the host in the network. And um, <coughs> sorry about that. Actually, just give you a second. Okay, I'm back. Uh, so the thing is that um, um, having that kind of privileges grants you the um, the possibility to. Oh, just just give me a second. Okay, <clears throat> so I'll, <clears throat> Josh, I'll let you talk about it but just for a second. <clears throat> what do you think about it? <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so these are becoming more uh, part of my daily feed uh, that I review uh, vulnerabilities just because they're becoming more and more frequent. Um, I'm not sure if that's because of the way our technology is going as you mentioned earlier, everything that we have in our hand, um, all the different apps that we're using, and all the different vulnerabilities that are coming with those updates. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that I've started including more and more uh, in my daily feed. Um, in terms of this particular one, um, I saw the severity was quite high. I think it was one of them might have even been a 10, um, given that the, it can you know, allow the delivery of ransomware uh, remotely. Um, these remote applications are quite 
civilian quite scary in how they can um, target users. And given, like I said earlier, how many of us are working from home and working remotely and, and dependent on these applications is becoming more of a concern. Um, for myself, I looked at it more of a supply chain point of view as well um, and how companies using this can, how it can have that knock on effect. Um, so although these vulnerabilities pop up and people see it as a, as a one company issue, um, it can often affect multiple at, at one time. Um, so that they were my initial thoughts. Yeah, I think, you know, um, you definitely mentioned the, let's say, uh, the risk of a, or the possibility of a supply chain attack. Uh, and I, I like to, to try to explain uh, the kind of terms we use to, you know, the broader public. Um, we're basically talking about the fact that you as an attacker maybe have a, a specific target, a specific company that you want to attack, right? But maybe the way you can eventually get access to their data or to their systems is through, you know, uh, one of their uh, service provider, let's say, right? Um, so basically um, exploiting or just, you know, breaching one company just because they have already some third party access to the, your final target, you can end up to, the, uh, to, your, um, to your final target. And this is actually the case, right? Because the thing is that we're talking about a company that sells uh, um, a tool to provide remote access. So it means that if you actually exploit their software, you're gonna potentially uh, have access to, you know, most or if not, if not all of their own customers, right? And their customers, of course, are other companies out there. And there are actually many of them. I think there's uh, written somewhere in the article that, uh, yes, there are currently at least more than 8,000 uh, different instances of this platform exposed to the internet. What, the, what does it mean? It means that basically uh, just, you know, for a, let's say, a normal internet connection, you can actually reach them. And if you know how to exploit that vulnerability, you can potentially compromise all of those, uh, you know, uh, more than 8,000 different potentially customers, right? Maybe, I, I don't know, there could be one customer that has more than one platform for some reason, uh, but definitely they could, uh, they could be hundreds, if not thousands of different companies out there that can be uh, breached uh, exploiting this vulnerability, which is, which is pretty big, right? Yeah. It's not something to, to uh, um, you know, that, 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 we, that we can just avoid. Yeah, I, I think, like you were saying earlier with the, from like the non-technical point of, of how it works. Um, for myself, I, I like to see it as like a, from a person, people point of view. Um, so if, for example, in, in this circumstance with the vulnerability, if you were to see it as people uh, from a company and you, you remove the technology, and if I was to want to get a message to a CEO of a company or to employees of a company, if I find a receptionist or, or an employee that I can get contact with and I can pass them that note or that message and they can then pass that on for me then that's kind of the same to me that's how, how vulnerabilities like these are working in that in the supply chain is that you don't need to necessarily be able to target the CEO straight away or the um, that end user you, you're going through that, that middle person 
Yeah, you're basically is the attacker you're basically using uh, ConnectWire as a, as a relay, right? Yeah. To, to eventually jump on the um, on your final target. Uh, yeah. And I think the <clears throat> oh, it's gonna be so bad tonight. <clears throat> Sorry for that. Um, nice. But the thing is that you know just one single vulnerability gives you access to not one, not two, but really many potential yeah. targets. And if we, you know, of course, nowadays the the, uh, the biggest risk or just the um, the biggest fear, I will say, is uh, a ransomware attack, right? The um, the most common uh, kind of uh, attack we we see nowadays, and uh, we um, we already seen some examples of this vulnerability being used uh, for such kind of attack, uh, which is pretty. Um, um, let's say uh, pretty 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 easy to 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 do in that case, right? If you already have uh, you know complete access to the <clears throat> to the network, you just need to you know uh, send your uh, your malware, run it, and uh, you potentially go and encrypt everything you you can find. Uh, so it's pretty handy for the attackers, and uh, you know I think it's a big hit for uh, for the company itself. I would say uh, both as um, uh, direct damage, let's say, uh, and uh, as a um, uh, probably as also uh, reputation side, right? right? Like, I mean, if let's say that uh, ConnectWise was going to sell their platform to some big customers uh, in this in this period, but then there's this vulnerability out there, and uh, suddenly, you know, if I'm uh, if I was one of their uh, customers right now, I could probably rethink. Uh, you know, buying it because uh, I just know there's an issue in this moment, which is pretty big. And I don't know if uh, I want to buy it anymore. Like, of course, I'm in IT. I know what that what does that mean? And I know also the other providers are not 100% secure that it can potentially happen to anyone out there. But this is something that definitely can, can happen. And it can be a, a big, also financial hit potentially uh, for the company itself, right? Yeah, and I, not this example doesn't really touch on the sales point, but in terms okay. of, of the supply chain again and how it can affect all those other companies. Um, last year we saw the movement vulnerability. I don't know if you remember right. that. Um, and yeah, for four weeks afterwards, we were seeing more and more companies coming out saying they've been exposed or they've been affected by it. Um, so yeah, it, it just shows something like this. But yeah, in terms of a sales point, um, it, it does have that effect in that people are going to be more concerned regarding the product um, and how it can be potentially exposed, especially for something so severe like ransomware. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's pretty. It's actually pretty um, associable with the, the movie one we had uh, we had last year. And you know it's always related to the fact that if we are, if you in your company are um, largely using uh, some tools like it, right? Yeah. Uh, so that all of your employees or uh, maybe just your admins are all using the same tool. Uh, you know the fact that that specific tool is uh, is exploited, uh, you know, in the wild right now. Uh, now you cannot change the tool that you're using for from a day to the other, 
and uh, most of the time unfortunately you cannot even patch it uh, yes. so uh, so quickly right because you need to wait uh, the vendor to actually release uh, the patch you have to be um, you know uh, um, licensed to receive that that release of course uh, and, and then uh, you know maybe um, people that are, uh, are not really into IT, I mean, also people in security that were not sysadmins or, or something like that, uh, which I was, by the way. Um, I know that it's, you know, especially in a big company, it's very, very difficult to just uh, apply a, a, an update to all of the machines in the network. So yeah. it takes time, it's difficult, and in the meanwhile, you're still vulnerable to something that possibly every, every attacker out there uh, is trying to use uh, right now, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing. You're almost like a sitting duck, really. Yeah, there all these news articles are, are putting the target on those companies that are using that uh, piece of, of software, and then in the meantime, you're waiting to patch your system. Whilst this keeps getting spread, the word keeps getting spread that this is a vulnerability that can be exposed through X, Y, and Z. So yeah. it's a very yeah very difficult circumstance yeah absolutely uh i was just uh quickly reading uh the article to see if there was something else and uh yeah i just saw this uh mention from the huntress researchers i think were the ones that uh for the first time talked about the, the vulnerability itself they saw um uh some uh initial access brokers i'm gonna explain that in a second uh that started to use the vulnerability uh, to, to sell access to third parties. So what does that mean once again? Um, these specific groups called initial access brokers are basically attackers that only focus on getting the first uh, you know, foothold, the first um, access on the um, company networks, but they do not actually run any other activities if not just sell those credentials, sell, sell those accesses to whoever wants to uh, run a cyber attack, right? So they just do the, the first part of the, the activity and then, you know, anyone else just paying them for that access um, can do whatever they want. And most of the time that's going to be a ransomware attack so that, of course, it's, it's just an investment for them, right? They're paying to have the first uh, access to the network and then they maybe run a, a ransomware attack so they can uh, get back some money out of the ransom itself. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say this is, this is going to be pretty big and it's going to last for, uh, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty long time, uh, especially because, you know, uh, once again, all of all those 8,000 more, uh, exposed platforms out there, many of them are gonna, you know, stay exposed and stay vulnerable, unfortunately for a lot of time, if not, you know, forever. Maybe, you know, some of those are not uh, customers anymore, so they don't uh, actually receive updates from uh, ConnectWise. And it's always like that. It's something that happens, you know, more and more. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's, I don't think there's just a solution to this kind of things. Um, but, of course, it's always on the effort of the, um, uh, you know, individual companies, individual uh, customers to always try to 
patch as soon as possible or to be aware of all of the vulnerabilities that are out there because of course it's not your uh, first focus every day to see all of your softwares and see uh, you know whether they are vulnerable or not or, or which one you should patch first because of course you don't have only uh, ConnectWise maybe you have a lot of other tools inside your inside your pocket and uh, there are a lot of uh, other vulnerabilities that you should patch as well uh, so it's a very uh, big challenge, I would say. Um, I, I just hope that you know uh, um, we we as an industry can uh, can fix this one as soon as possible, uh, and hopefully we will not find a new one very very soon, right? <laughs> because it seems that like one of these um, uh, you know maximum score vulnerabilities are out there pretty much every week, so you don't know where where to look first. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. There's, um, yeah, we had a bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Uh, okay, so uh, <clears throat> so my throat is not helping me today. I'm sorry for that. But outside of that, I think we're good to jump to the uh, to the next news. And uh, just as a reminder, if you're watching this and you're enjoying the conversation. First, uh, you know, consider just uh, using the chat to, uh, um, uh, to discuss with us and let us know what's your opinion on the uh, on the topics we are talking about. And let's just remember that all of the <clears throat> articles and the links that we are uh, discussing today will be um, posted in the YouTube uh, video description. So you know, even after the video, you are uh, definitely encouraged to open those links, do your own research. Uh, and maybe, you know, let us know later uh, if you uh, learned something else or uh, read something else that we didn't mention. Uh, we can, or at least, you know, I can definitely learn a lot from you guys if you just give me uh, back a feedback. And um, so that's it. Uh, of course, you know, subscribe if you're liking this and you want me to to do more, to invite more people, and to invite maybe Josh once again, if he uh, doesn't hate me yet, uh, because he will be very soon. Uh, but let's, you know, change topics right now. <laughs> um, so the other very, very big uh, thing from the last week uh, was the <clears throat> uh, operation you know, uh, police operation against uh, the Lockbit uh, ransomware gang. Um, so basically, you know, we we often have this kind of news, especially in the in this podcast, where uh, you know uh, I like to, to you know to also talk about the fact that sometimes we are catching the bad guys, right? Uh, sometimes uh, you know some uh, uh, some of those gangs, some of those uh, groups are actually, uh, uh, you know, being targeted by authorities, by, you know, uh, agencies, and uh, we, uh, we managed to stop some of their, some of their activities, which, which is a pretty good thing. Uh, we are not just passively trying to, uh, you know, to defend ourselves, but, you know, um, sometimes we also, we also uh, block them. Uh, this was the case um, uh, the last week with the, the Lockbit ransomware gang, which is a, uh, I would say one of the most, uh, you know, famous ones uh, in the in the recent uh, the recent months, maybe years, um, because uh, well, first of all, they they are slash they were, um, uh, you know, a, a ransomware as a service. Uh, that means that basically 
they were developing the, the malware itself, the platform, but actually selling um, the usage of such uh, such malware to third parties, meaning that anyone could basically go in there, pay them, use their software to run their own uh, ransomware attacks. Uh, so uh, that means that um, the the uh, potential attacks were uh, much, much, much uh, bigger than what they could do uh, in first person, right? Um, because they, are, they were just enabling um, third parties to, to run their attacks. Uh, and um, I think... Uh, the, the, the article is pretty big, so I'm gonna, I'm not going to find anything in there. Uh, but I remember reading the fact that, um, just in the last year, uh, they, um, you know, the, um, the results in terms of money, um, catered from, uh, uh, ransomware attacks using their malware was, uh, like incredible, like uh, I don't know uh, how many millions, just because I don't remember the, the exact number, uh, but the um, the impact that just one of this group could have in the you know globally in the industry, it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's unbelievable. And uh, I think that you know this could be one of the first topics that we could talk about. The fact that you know do we think this kind of operations from from you know the police from the uh, law enforcement do they, uh, you know, are useful or not, right? Because I see a lot of people talking on social media, on Twitter or whatever, uh, or, you know, about the fact that, yeah, but we're, they're going to be back very soon. So uh, no matter what we do, uh, they're going to be back. They're going to have maybe a, another name, a new name, but we're not really stopping them. Uh, this required a lot of efforts, but eventually uh, they will be up and running and running, you know, more ransomware attacks um very very soon maybe they're already doing it uh i personally think this is useful i personally think that you know this is disrupting uh at least you know uh partially you know their their operations i think this is going to slow down a lot uh especially if we're talking about the one of the biggest groups out there because we we know there are a lot of other uh, criminal groups that are still you know um uh, going around and running their uh, their malicious activities, but I think that there's some effort from the other side that is slowing them down, right? That is making things difficult for them, right? It's definitely helpful on a on a certain you know uh, on a certain level. I don't know. I cannot say how much exactly. I don't. I don't think we we can we we can say that, but you know I don't think it's useless at least. Right. What's uh, what's your point? What's your opinion on this, Josh? Yeah. So I had a day off when this was announced. Uh, so I came oh, okay. out day. <laughs> uh, but I know that um, Alf B. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but they were taken down last year and again. Uh, they bounced straight back. Um, but I think it's definitely a good thing. I think it does definitely slow them down, and it is what I see acting as a deterrent for other people or maybe other groups that are, um, you know, conducting similar operations to Lockbit. Um, for myself, the first thing I took from it was the cooperation by the different law enforcement agencies. Um, coming from a policing background, I know it's not easy for different agencies to work together, especially when they're working overseas as well. So I think they mentioned US and England, Germany, um, 
yeah, all, all working together in more countries as well. So that's hard because everyone has their own different policies and procedures in place. Uh, people typically aren't willing to share information with anybody else unless they're going to get something back. So it's usually a bit of a standoff between who's giving the first bit of intel before getting anything that they can use themselves. Um, on top of that, you also have operating in different time zones and different um, regions and, and how you share that intel without that becoming compromised as well. Um, so yeah, the cooperation for me, it, I think it's great to see. Um, I know LinkedIn and, and all other cyber security forums were, yeah, we're jumping up with the, with the success from it, but it's uh, yeah for me initially it was a cooperation that I saw and understanding how difficult that is. It's not just a simple thing of, of making a phone call, sending an email in order to initiate that. Uh, Lockbit would be moving at a very very quick pace, and then you've got law enforcement trying to sort out that cooperation and catch up as well. So that's yeah, that was the first thing that stood out for me. I think that's uh, that's actually a very interesting topic, right? Because of course, if if you're not you know part of any uh, law enforcement or government agency, you don't know how these things work. Maybe you watch some movies or something, but uh, it's it's different for you know compared to what really is. And um, you know, one could argue why does it take so much time? Why does it take so many uh, different law enforcement uh, around the world, and not just I don't know the police in I don't know, Germany, uh, to do this on their own. And the thing is, I'll try, you know, uh, to, to, to do my best here, but of course, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, Josh. The thing is, uh, you know, first of all, um, we are talking about, you know, they, they basically seized uh, the, the, um, <clears throat> the command and control infrastructure of the attackers, right? That same infrastructure is not going to be uh, localized in a specific place. It's going to be maybe you know, in different regions, parts, uh, you know, in a, in a country, parts in another country, uh, they have an interest in doing that, of course, because uh, exactly it makes it difficult uh, to, to uh, you know, to seize that. So they have to uh, cooperate in order to try to see, seize it all, right? Because if they leave a part of it to their attackers, they are not really, uh, you know, uh, having the impact uh, they, they want to have, right? Uh, and then, you know, we, of course, have also members of the group that are uh, living in different countries. It, it means that, you know, a law enforcement from a specific country cannot just go in there and arrest someone in another country. That's just not how it works. Uh, so it needs a lot of cooperation. It needs a lot of, of course, inv investigations and uh, access to data that are uh, possessed by different uh, organizations and people. Right. And just as you said, just sharing that information between different countries is something that is uh, it's very tricky. It's very difficult, requires a lot of, uh, you know, uh, I would say um, bureaucracy, probably also. Um, and uh, it's just not simple. And I think the last part is that when you want to uh, to actually uh, run the operation itself, you need to be uh, as um, sure as possible that you are doing it all at the same time, because uh, otherwise you are actually uh, letting them know you're you're attacking them, right? And they uh, can, uh, you know, uh, hide their tracks or whatever, and they can uh, just uh, 
uh, restarts from scratch while the the uh, the noise is uh, is a bit down. Does it like? Did I say something uh, something wrong? Yeah. No, I think that's spot on. Like the like you just mentioned, then you've got to make sure that everyone's everyone's allowed to to make you know make the arrest or, or seizure at the same time. Um, if they were if one law enforcement uh, agency is ready to go, but the others aren't, um, they could blow the whole operation. So they could spook someone. They could shut down the other um, parts of the organization. It wouldn't be as successful as carrying it out as a coordinated effort at the same time. And then at the same time, the more you're hanging around to do that, Lockbit could be changing their tactics and changing how they're doing things and, and shifting things around. So, yeah, so it's timing and cooperation and, and there's a lot that goes into it. I think another big part is if you look at the motivations for both sides as well, uh, I think that's, for me, that what, what shows how successful it's been. So if you look at your typical police force or, or law enforcement agency, Typically, they've got you know, their team might be made up of graduates um, or, or mid-level analysts, and then typically they'd be reporting to to a police officer that might not have a, a strong cyber background or might have a strong cyber background, but typically not. Um, that has just been in the job for for quite some time. Can conduct a, a thorough investigation and, and, and planning and everything else, um, but they're then going up against Lockbit, who are, who are purely cyber focused, who are working around the clock, don't have a, a typical nine to five or, or shift pattern that are working around the clock. And then you've got uh, like the motivations for Lockbit might be financial, like you mentioned earlier, that the amount of money they're gaining from these operations. I think I saw reports of 240 million. Um, Dollars at one point, I think they conducted a ransomware operation for 60 million in just a single attack. Um, so they're obviously looking at the rewards of potentially millions. And then you've got people working for the police force, not that this is a bad thing, but that are working on potentially 50,000, 60,000 yearly salaries. So to, I think it's a huge win when you've got, you know, you, if you look at the both motivations, yeah, the law enforcement, they're motivated by doing the right thing, getting justice, but then you also have these ransomware groups that believe that what they're doing is is to get justice. And, you know, they see that as a sense of justice. And then they're also getting this massive amounts of publicity and media attention. Um, whereas, yeah, so for me, when I sit there and I, I look at them both, um, I think it's a massive win for law enforcement, given that, Typically, they can sometimes be under-resourced. They can, the workers can be, you know, working a typical shift pattern, and then you've got a ransomware gang that's got millions of dollars working around the clock. It's yeah. So yeah, I went off on a tangent there. But. No, absolutely. And I'm just thinking, uh, you know, uh, to to add up a little bit on the <clears throat> to the impact they are having uh, with the, such kind of operation. You know, um, just randomly, you know, thinking out loud, <clears throat> the um, 
what they really seized was, of course, a lot of uh, you know infrastructure. So basically, servers they were running. So they, it means that uh, that's stuff that they cannot use anymore. And if they have to redo uh, redo it once again, they need uh, to uh, you know find out maybe other providers or they need to to buy the hardware themselves. So it needs a lot of efforts uh, to to rebuild the infrastructure from scratch. They uh, add access to the uh, to the actual source code of their platform and their malware. That means that from now on, they can also uh, pretty easily, uh, you know, find a way to, um, uh, you know, relatively easily, I would say, find a way to decrypt uh, whoever is going to, to be hit by, by the same malware, which is a lot, you know, in terms of impact, you know, of, of a, a beneficial impact uh, of this operation. Uh, this is a lot of money that they have stolen through the um, <clears throat> through the uh, through the ransoms, right? So that means also that you know uh, possibly someday, <laughs> you know, with a lot of bureaucracy and everything, um, some of those money could be potentially re- uh, redistributed or just uh, given back to uh, you know to the organization that were stolen from. And of course, some of those people were uh, just arrested. So of course those people are not going to, uh, you know, those same people are not going to run the same activities, and all of those, you know, little things all together. Of course they're going to have, I think, a very big impact. Or I'm actually, I'm actually forgot to to mention that the fact that, you know, uh, everyone is doing that, but of course also Lockbit, it, it's uh, not only running ransomers but also stealing data so that you know they can use it as a leverage to, you know, convince you to pay. And ransom, and of course, you know, uh, we we said this many times, but the point is that even if you pay the ransom during a ransomware attack, you know, no one is giving you any, um, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, can 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 grant you for sure that uh, they are gonna delete the data. Most of the time, the data is gonna be there; it's gonna be on their servers. And the fact that they seize that ser- those servers with the, all of the data inside, it means that maybe from now on they cannot really um, publish it uh, anymore, right? So this is where the organization can really feel a little safer than, than before, um, you know, compared to when when they paid the ransom. At least in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. There's no guarantees in, in terms of paying a ransomware. Uh, payment there's with with an operation like this uh, yeah you're a lot more guaranteed that that information is seized and, and going to be deleted or you know uh, isn't going to be passed on any further but yeah you hear about things all the time of these demands and that they they paid it they've made the met the demand and then it's all of a sudden it's either leaked or it pops back up again for sale so yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I, I mean this was probably one of my my favorite uh, you know news for for tonight. But we need to jump to the very last one um, yeah. for this episode, and the one that uh, I don't know if that's still clear, but I always use the the last news as the name for the episode, uh, which I think it's it's something cool. Maybe maybe it is uh, it's, it's not really, but anyway, I'm gonna do it. That that's my project. So. Ah. Uh, just shut up. 
you know this this last news um i i didn't see it really um shared too much uh, probably because we had too many too many news um too many big things in the last week but i think it's pretty it's pretty big as well um so basically what um what happened is that on a, a github repository so something that is uh, you know it's uh uh, open to anyone that uh, is finding it. Um, it was shared some uh, some data that um, uh, is uh, is related and it's referring to uh, a Chinese cyber t- cybersecurity com- company uh, that um, have uh, a very strong relation apparently with the Chinese government and with the uh, let's say espionage related activities. Uh, that the Chinese uh, government is uh, uh, is running. Uh, so it, it's um, I mean it's it's a pretty big data leak. It's containing uh, a lot of internal conversations uh, between employees, between uh, the um, you know who runs the company and uh, other founders and so on and so forth. And um, you know it's uh, basically. Um, um, leaking a lot about their their internal activities, and since, uh, of course, uh, as a as a society, I will say we don't get very often a lot of information regarding what uh, what happens in uh, in China specifically because of how they handle, you know, their part of the internet. Um, uh, there, uh, this is a lot of information that can be uh, can be used in uh, definitely many ways. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought very, very interesting, and, and maybe this is clear for, for someone, And but I, I bet that for a lot of people out there, it's not very clear. The fact that what we usually call APT, right, so uh, Advanced Persistent Threat, or basically those, um, uh, uh, you know, attacker groups that are uh, state-sponsored, that are very highly motivated, that have very high resources to invest in an attack, uh, that means that they are very, very effective when they, they do one of those. Uh, you know, most of the time, uh, I I will probably expect they are basically legitimate companies that are working with their governments, right? Uh, either it, it's that's the case or the government itself, itself as a, a, an internal, uh, you know, agency or an internal unit that, that is doing that. But I will I will bet that many countries are there are basically you know uh, outsourcing that kind of work to someone which is already you know skilled already um, uh, knowledgeable about this kind of uh, uh, of uh, you know this kind of stuff right just because it's much much easier to outsource instead of building the kind of capabilities uh, internally. Of course, it depends on the different kind of countries. There are going to be countries where you know it's uh, just uh, better to, to do it internally, but I will definitely expect this to happen in many other cases. Uh, and uh, um, so the the point there is that um, you know we have a company that is running both. I, I mean, from the Chinese side, it's probably all legitimate, right? Because they are running espionage, uh, targeting other countries. Uh, so it's uh, it's sponsored by their state, so it's uh, it's pretty okay for them. But it's it's definitely something that you don't want to share with the, with the rest of the world, right? 
they are usually operations which are which are pretty uh, let's say top secret right uh, no one should definitely know about it uh, even even in the same country and this was actually shared um, with the, basically with the rest of the world which which is pretty big um, especially especially for China uh, I I will I want to uh, just pause in there and see whether do you have anything uh, anything uh, you know in your mind about this? Is there is this happened before in your opinion? Is this something big or maybe it's just a, yeah an interesting thing but not uh, uh, not that interesting? What do you say? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's very interesting. It was um, for myself from. Uh, in terms of the current landscape, I feel like there's been a lot of focus on Russia, Ukraine, uh, Israel, right. Iran. and then. But prior to that, China was um, don't know how to say hot topic, but there was a lot of uh, you know you, you, you hear a lot of things in terms of you know, the race in tech and uh, security concerns. There's been security concerns in the past with Huawei uh, and, and different providers. Um, so then to see this come up, I feel like there's there should still be some attention paid there, you know, across the whole landscape. Um, in terms of this, I, I believe I assume we're given the highest level of clearance. Um, I heard you talking before about the different um, levels of clearance and, and, you know, different levels of information that they can handle. And I believe it was a disgruntled employee that, made the leak so if i'm if i'm going ahead here um but yeah it, for me it, it was quite big i don't want to uh, jump in too much in case you've got more to say but for me it was, it was very interesting in terms of how you just said it was available to everyone worldwide i think um i read somewhere that they released information and screenshots from the chat groups that they had as well um, and one of the chat groups mentioned that, um, I don't, again, allegedly, I don't know how accurate this is, um, but they mentioned that China, they were speaking about China targeting India and uh, as a point of, of to, to infiltrate there. Um, so it's quite concerning to see how a private company can be working on behalf of the government to target all these other different states and different organisations. And the effect that that could have, uh, for example, with the India um, example there, China and India are part of BRICS, so how that would affect their relationship. For those that don't know, BRICS is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a couple more that make up, um, yeah, they have, have this partnership. Um, Again, don't know the full ins and outs of BRICS, but um, it's a massive partnership that's being formed by those countries. And then for China to be mentioning India in this way, could that be blown out to affect that relationship? And how does that then affect, uh, yeah, with other things that are going on in the world? So it is, for me, it's quite big. But again, I don't, yeah, don't quote me on any of this. And, um, and the statements made within those chats, because I'm not sure how legitimate they were but yeah it's quite concerning to see these activities go on um i think they've always there's always been chatter about them existing and about china and russia having their different programs and how they can 
contract this work out to different organisations. Um, yes, it, it's quite concerning. I mean, this definitely, uh, you know, is going to have uh, uh, so some big, you know, I would say probably geopolitical, you know, consequences. As you say, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, countries that uh, are, are close to China suddenly see the, 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 some sort of clue that they were targeting them, right? And that can change maybe some sort of negotiations that, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's happening in, uh, in the recent, uh, recent times. Um, so it's, it's definitely a lot of work uh, that a lot of intelli intelligence organizations are going to appreciate, uh, probably. Uh, of course, once again, you, you mentioned it, but of course, in the case that everything is confirmed to be, uh, you know, uh, actually accurate uh, and, and everything. Um, one, one thing that is very interesting to me is the fact that in the article, there's a, um, there's a researcher just analyzing how the leak happened and the fact that uh, for them, it's pretty clear that the, the thing was planned, right? Uh, across, you know, uh, a certain amount of time since the, uh, you know, there is a, a lot of data contained in the analytics, something that you don't really gather in, uh, uh, in, uh, in a small amount of time. And the other thing was that uh, they just went in there and checked the uh, email address associated with the account, the GitHub account that published the data and saw that uh, the account was created, uh, uh, I think a month, uh, a month before uh, the data was, uh, was published. So uh, that, you know, let, let us think that they were actually getting the data, already thinking to do this from a, from a long time. And the uh, general idea is that one of the internal employees uh, did that, right? Uh, just because it, it's easier for them to have access to that sort of information. And uh, the, I think the other reason is that if you go and read through the, uh, uh, to the descriptions to the of the chats, uh, you can determine that uh, um, the overall morale of the employees were was not very uh, very high, and that could be one of the reasons why they decided to uh, to to leak that kind of data. I mean, of course, in in absence of any other uh, you know a, a clue of why this happened, that I think that's a pretty uh, decent, you know, uh, motivation, uh, I would say, which is also interesting. You will not expect, you know, uh, to consider, uh, you know, uh, members of an APT, they could be, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, just, uh, uh, feeling mad because of their work, because they're working too many hours or just, they're not paid very well. I think there's this general idea that APTs are just highly skilled, highly paid, uh, always, you know, on the over-the-top uh, players, which apparently in this case it's not, because there's also some conversation between the founders about, you know, uh, struggling to find new people to to hire, uh, to to you know sell more and to provide more services. So it's just just another company, right? Yeah. yeah, I think I read somewhere that they were disgruntled because their boss had bought a new car for a hundred fifty thousand. Dollars, uh, but the staff were asking for a pay rise, and they weren't getting that pay rise. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that, like you said, you you see these groups as these you know elite and the, the you know the pay and 
And if they're not paid great, you see that they're doing it for the ideology, you know, the different motivations and financial. Whereas this kind of paints a picture that it's like a normal company and that people are unhappy about the boss and, and the pay and, and everything else. So, yeah, quite interesting. And uh, another thing that is quite interesting uh, for the, uh, I mean, if you if you're if you're into, I mean, like something like I don't know how to call it, like the hacker history or something. Um, the, the thing is that apparently one of the uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a founder, but it says here the CEO of of the company is apparently well known to be a um, a, a member of the very first. Uh, Chinese activist group founded in 1997, uh, and I think this is—I uh, think this is probably going to be recurrent. Like uh, the, the first people uh, that were into, you know, the, the first phase of cybersecurity, right? Uh, the first technical people in there just uh, mostly became, uh, you know, founders of uh, companies, and uh, they were the first ones to be in touch with the uh, uh, governments to run you know, any, any, you know, cyber related activities, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know, it, it's interesting to me to see how, you know, uh, I think this is a common pattern, uh, whatever, whatever the countries, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah, I picked up on that as well. So it looks like that relationship's been formed quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, and whether that will continue now whether that the government would still operate like that in terms of contracting things out and uh, i'm not too sure i feel like there's enough threat groups out there now that they don't need to necessarily go out and reach out to these these contracts i feel like that you know there's a lot of work being done uh but yeah, it, yeah. yeah when, i mean uh, that, that, that's true. I mean, I don't know. It depends on whether, uh, you know, they will admit that's that's actually uh, official data, that that's actually, you know, true data or not. They could just pretend nothing happened, which yeah. is, uh, I think it's pretty common also on their side. And um, they, I mean, they definitely have some competitors, apparently. Um, you know, it's still in the article, they mentioned another company, uh, which is actually... Uh, uh, you know, well known to be uh, not, not well known, but known to be uh, associated with another APT, um, and uh, you know, possibly they they just you know move the contracts to another yeah, private yeah. company, right? Um, well, I was looking at uh, APT groups a while back and looking at uh, I think it's US. Sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but US Senator Pelosi's. Um, she made a visit to Taiwan uh, and following the visit uh, because obviously America visiting Taiwan showing support the amount of attacks that happened on Taiwan uh, from Chinese uh, APT groups was huge and it wasn't just the one group um, so whether this is something that's always been there and that they have multiple contacts like you said and they can shift this work across different groups and have them coordinate the same kind of attacks that they've been wanting to do um uh, yeah i'm not sure but yeah that was an that's an interesting uh piece of work as well if you if you look into that the following her visit how many 
attacks were, were sent towards Taiwan. Yeah, so sometimes I wonder <clears throat> how much our, uh, you know, point of view about APTs is, uh, you know, um, uh, is actually true, meaning that, you know, what we consider a single group could actually be multiple groups, uh, right? Multiple organizations that we just, you know, as an industry identified as a, as a unique, uh, let's say, creature. But, you know, uh, you know, I probably just think that attribution, attribution is just a very difficult thing. Uh, and uh, a lot of it, it's uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, just a speculation uh, because we don't really have a very, very, you know, uh, clear data. We just try to, I, I would say, um, um, I can say this, like um, deduct from some data, from some information that this group could actually be associated with something or something else. And yeah. uh, I mean, most of the time we will never uh, know all of the details, right? Um, I, I don't know. Do you think... Um, yeah, this is probably too long for for for, for tonight. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel I, like yeah, you could go on further on this one. But yeah, we definitely try and map those attacks and map the different groups and associations and yeah. motivations, and we're trying to piece it all together. But like you said, we don't know. A lot of these groups are closed groups. They don't obviously have your, your groups like anonymous and, and stuff, which are really public and what they're doing. Um, I say public, public in a way. But there's a lot of groups out there that could be conducting these attacks and we're attributing it to someone completely different. Exactly. They're, they're fine with that. They're, they're happy with us doing that because it takes the spotlight off them. So, uh, yeah, it's very complex. It's a very complex threat landscape at the minute. And there's a lot more, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on, geopolitical tension and, and whatnot that is... Uh, yeah, just just making it more complex each day. So, I mean, which is also the way the reason why it's interesting, right? Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's fascinating. Uh, I will say that. Um, so, uh, once again, I, I think I have a, a lot of other uh, things in my mind that I will I would like to, to to say, discuss, and ask you. But I also think that at some point I, I must leave you go, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> so. No well, first of all, of course, thank you so much uh, for, for this conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, ho I hope you did as well. Um, uh, that said, you know, uh, thank you for all of the people that, uh, you know, uh, stayed with us today. That's much, much appreciated. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, if you enjoyed this, consider subscribing so that you will be maybe notified for the next episodes. I'm trying to do uh, one episode per week. That's sometimes challenging, but uh, most of the time I, I, I managed to do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, a big thanks uh, is, uh, is uh, for all of the guests, Josh, Josh included, um, oh, for being with me today. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And, and yeah, I've, I've followed uh, this podcast for a while now. And yeah, you, you discuss some very interesting things. You have some great guests on. Uh, yeah, I was very, very flattered that you asked me on it. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for everyone listening as well. That's very nice. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everyone. Evan, you know, good night, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are. And uh, yeah, just see you on the next episode.
Bye, everyone. Great. Thank you.